This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So the big topic right now is clean energy and the climate and all of the proposals that are coming down, a lot of the focus has been on raising taxes to pay for infrastructure, et cetera. Very little focus has been on the actual tax credits and tax incentives that are coming for renewable energy. So um, we already have great tax credits right now. I think, I suspect they're gonna get better, but we're very fortunate to have an expert in this area, Eric Wishneff on the line with us. And Eric, welcome to the uh, WealthAbility Show for CPAs. And thanks for taking a few minutes to explain not just what's here, but also what you see is coming. Yeah, thanks, Tom. It's, uh, it's great to be with you and look forward to talking a little bit about uh, renewable energy. So would you just give us a 30-second uh, intro as to what you do and uh, you know, why this is uh, important to you? Sure. So our firm, Wish and F & Associates, uh, we're a tax credit consulting and syndication firm. So we work with a wide variety of tax credits, including renewable energy, um, basically helping both uh, project sponsors take advantage of these programs, as well as working on behalf of investors to facilitate their investing in these projects and, and ultimately benefiting from these tax incentives. Awesome. Well, I want to get into that uh, a little bit in, in just a minute because tax credits are one of those odd places where we can specially allocate the credit. So I want to talk about that special allocation and how that works. But first of all, um, what, what do we have right now in the law? I mean, what credits... Uh, particularly re renewable energy credits, are you primarily focused on currently before we ever get any changes? Sure. So there are there are a couple different existing tax credits out there related to renewable energy, um, and they basically differ based upon the the underlying technology, the the source of the renewable energy, um, and and probably the one that's that's most common or that you see out there the most relates to solar. So um, certainly a lot of what we focus on and a lot of the, I guess, the tax credit world um, focuses on our, our solar uh, installations. Yeah. Can you just walk us through that credit real quick? What, what, the, what sure. the actual amount is and what the maximum is? Yeah. So the, so the good news about the solar credit, there's no, there's no cap. There's no competition. It's really based. It's an investment tax credit based upon how much you're investing um, and what they call qualified energy property. And so uh, the credit is currently 26% of what a project would invest in, uh, in solar. And um, so, you know, if that ends up being a million dollars, then you have a $260,000 tax credit, um, which is available to be claimed in the year that a project is placed in service. Now, um, that's, a, that's the credit. A, you know, what 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 if, if it's if it's a business that's doing it, do we also get the depreciation? So in other words, um, we got a twenty six percent credit, but if I'm using the solar to power my uh, commercial building, for example, would I not also then get the depreciation on the remainder? Absolutely, and, that, and that's part of what makes um, you know the, these projects make economic sense. You know, is that you get 
uh, bonus or accelerated depreciation. And you can essentially depreciate the solar facility in year one. So as I understand it though, we, but we have to reduce the basis by the credit, right? So that, that million dollar example, let, let me just check my understanding. Sure. Yeah. So on a million dollar uh, project, we get $260,000 of credit, and then we'd get $740,000 of deduction. That, how well, that, is it that actually, you reduce it by half of it, by 50% of the credit. So, oh, so, uh, so that example would be, uh, you'd have $870,000 of, of potential That's awesome. uh, deductions. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like R&D where you, you've got a much bigger haircut on the R&D credit than you do That's on right. the solar energy credit. That's right. That's right. So um, let me ask you this question. So one of the great benefits, of course, of real estate, and, and I actually see this as a real estate opportunity, um, is leverage. Uh, are you finding that people are leveraging these or are they, are they having to invest you know, their hard-earned cash or are, they, or are there um, lenders that are actually willing to finance these? It, it's certainly become a much more accepted area to be able to add debt to a project. So it is pretty common to see that. Um, and, you know, some of the projects we're working on, there are essentially developers, you know, to bring it back to a real estate um, analogy that are developing these facilities. And then they're, in, instead of, you know, having a building where they may rent to tenants, they have this solar array that they may either lease to someone to utilize it or the other thing we see a lot of is, is what they call a, a power purchase agreement or a PPA for short, where essentially a, a third party just agrees to purchase the power that's generated from the facility. So either that PPA or the lease is what provides the, the uh, revenue that's available to then cover the debt service. Awesome. What kind of a loan to value are you seeing on these projects? Um, it, it's definitely a little bit lower, I think, still than, than what you'd see on real estate, because um, I guess it's maybe not quite, you know, obviously hasn't been around quite as long, <laughs> quite as accepted. But, but generally, that's okay, because um, you have these tax incentives that help, um, you know, cover a, a pretty significant cost of the project. Um, the other thing, you know, much like a, uh, you know, again, comparing to real estate, you look at who that lease or who that PPA is, is going to, you know, if you have a, a, a PPA with a governmental entity, for example, or a utility, large utility, that's a pretty, you know, that's a, you know, really strong um, purchaser versus, you know, like a startup business. So it's just, you know, and, and again, with real estate, if you have a government tenant in real estate, that's obviously a very strong tenant versus a, a you know, a startup business. Um, so there's definitely some, some differences there in terms of credit worthiness of the, of the purchase. Well, what, are you, what are you typically seeing, like 40, 50% loan to value? I, you, you might be able to see a little bit higher, maybe, maybe in that 60 to 70% range, but, not bad. but uh, yeah, yeah, not bad. So, so one of the things that has always been interesting to me, I'm a partnership guy, so <laughs> that's really what you're doing, right? Because you're setting up effectively a partnership for tax purposes. And you guys then, um, you've got the people who take the credit and the people who don't take the credit, right? Can you just kind of walk through as simply as you can? I know it's a little complex, but as simply as you can, how do you allocate that credit 
And why don't we have, uh, you know, because we got the whole 704B issue going on. Uh, how does that work so that we can actually allocate the credit to one place, even though, um, you know, the, the, the revenue is going to another place? Right, right. Yeah, and that's definitely something that is a little bit unique and as it relates to a lot of these tax credit transactions. Um, so, you know, we do, when we set up the partnership, you know, typically we will often see, um, well, maybe I'll take a step back. So, you know, a lot of people that are undertaking these projects cannot use these tax credits either at all or at least can't use them efficiently. And so the reason we even have this market is because there are other third-party investors out there that can use them. Um, so even, and, and because of, you know, what type of tax these credits can offset, even some very wealthy individuals that have very large tax obligations may not be able to utilize these credits. So that's kind of the, the, the background of why, you know, we need to do this. And so, um, you know, setting up this partnership will allow a third party investor to come in that can use the credits. So that still allows the, the project sponsor to get some value from the credits. Uh, and then that, um, investor will, you know, make an equity contribution into the project that can help cover project costs. Um, and so typically the investor will own um, maybe 99% of the project owner LLC uh, or partnership during um, what is, there's a five-year compliance period. That five-year starts from um, once the system is placed in service. Um, and so for that five-year period, they're, they're typically going to own the vast majority, if not all of the partnership. Um, and then once that five-year period expires, there will be a mechanism that will often allow the, the project sponsor, the developer, the, the, um, to buy out the investor effectively. Um, and that the economics of that are all agreed to upfront. So you know as a project sponsor, exactly what that's going to look like at the end when you when you have the opportunity to buy out the investor. Got it. So you say that um, some people, you know, even wealthy investors might, might might not get this. I presume that's because of the passive loss rules, correct? That's right. That's right. And and then yeah, that it generally can't offset ordinary income for individuals. Um, Just passive income, right? Correct. That's right. Got it. So another, another argument for generating passive income. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. That's awesome. So that, uh, yeah. So, so we see, see uh, people with passive income and, and widely held C-Corps are probably the two most it. types of investors we see. Got it. Because C-Corps don't have those issues. So, um, so let's, let's step forward or into the future. Get out your crystal sure. ball. So we yeah. know that the Biden administration is very, um, I mean, climate is one of, uh, their, it's one of their big issues. One of the things that they're really proposing hard, um, there's, there's some proposals in this infrastructure proposal. What do you think, what credits are you, what do you think is going to happen? What, what, what additional credits are we going to see or how are they going to change the credit structure for renewable energy? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and they're definitely, you know, there's a number of, um, I guess, I don't know if you call them competing, but a number of proposals or bills out there even currently 
that would enhance either enhance what exists or, or maybe even create new credits. And so um, I think some of it's going to be what what do what is the industry? What is um, people in Congress? You know, what are they coalescing around in terms of what they see as the best way to to kind of achieve their objectives? But uh, you know, I certainly think you know that that as you say, there's something that's going to come out of this. Um, I think you know one of the things um, with these credits that has always been a little bit of a challenge is that they have uh, often had sunsets or, or do have sunsets, and so that creates uncertainty. Whereas again, like this, taking the solar credit as an example, today it's 26%. It's scheduled to, to decrease over time over the next couple of years to eventually get down to 10%. Um, just two years ago, it was 30%. So, um, you know, obviously to have certainty and uh, would be a, a big benefit to everyone in the industry to know, okay, I, I know I'm going to be dealing with a credit of this percentage for the next, well, uh, it definitely would be great, but, um, but at least that, you know, a longer period of time. Sure. It's, it's been a little like the R and D credit that was never made permanent, right. For so long, it was every year. I actually had a buddy who um, his entire career was spent getting uh, as a lobbyist, getting the R and D credit renewed. Uh, right. So with the solar, is it pretty, pretty safe to say, it looks to me like at least it's going to go back to 30%. Um, and probably a longer term, 30%. Yeah, I think that would, uh, you know, that's a, probably a pretty safe um, safe bet right now because it, it does seem like, you know, that there's going to be something done. Um, this infrastructure bill certainly seems like a good vehicle to potentially do something. So that does seem like the stars would align there. Let me ask you this. Should, should investors be waiting until we know on that bill because here's the thing, whether you invest in June or in December, you get the same credit and the same depreciation. That's right. Okay. But what we saw in 2017, of course, was that if you invested on September 26th, you didn't get bonus depreciation. And if you, uh, you invest on September 28th, you did. So right. my question is, should we be waiting? Um, or do you think this is going to be, are you pretty confident it's going to be retroactive? Right. I think the way I would look at it is if you can make your, your deal work now, if it's a good, you know, this is a good opportunity for you today, then um, I would be inclined to, to move forward with it. Um, and then, you know, if it does improve in the future, maybe that leads to, to more opportunities or additional opportunities. So I guess the way I'm looking at it is, you know, if you can make your numbers work or, or this seems like a, you know, uh, financially feasible today that maybe it's worth acting on, on what's, what exists. But, yeah. but obviously if they do come up with something in the future, they have been pretty good about, you know, making things retroactive or grandfathering certain projects to allow them to, to benefit from. And this is a little easier because this isn't a new credit. This is just, right. this is just changing the rate right here. Let's talk about one other credit that I think is going to be actually a really big credit um, let's talk about charging stations. So do yeah. you think, uh, is, is, the, is the administration going to do and encourage get charging stations built through credits or do you think they're gonna go out and just pay for them? That's a good question. And we actually are working with a, a, you know, some charging station developers right now that are trying to 
to figure that out and kind of plan for, for how to approach it. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, there is a, uh, existing credit right now, um, but it's capped per station. Um, and so it's, it's certainly helpful, but, um, I think ideally it would be more of a percentage based because it's capped, you know, uh, at a specific dollar figure. Um, but I think, you know, my, my thought would be that certainly the, the tax credits have been a, a an, ex, an incentive that has been successful. And so um, hopefully that is something that they would look at. So, so would you just walk through um, what the credit is for the charging station now and the cap and how that works? Sure. It's, uh, it's $30,000 per station um, is the credit amount. Um, and so, and most stations are, um, that's per location you know, is what you're saying per location. Right. Right. Yeah. That's so right. For example, if you had a, if you had a, a service station, right, you had a gas station and you put in, uh, you know, four charging stations, then your maximum credit at that service station would be $30,000. That's right. And that's a, and, and what's, and, and that credit is a, is it a percentage? So is it 30% of a hundred? What's the, what's that's the, right. That is, it is. Yeah, that's exactly. So, so the question is, will I take the cap off so that you can, because right Correct. now that obviously is limiting the number of charging stations that you put in because it, it you know, if you don't want to put in $500,000 of charging stations and only get credit on a hundred thousand. So right. it, it is actually a limiting factor in how many station charging stations. And the, the challenge is it's not like a charging, it's not like a, a gas pump, right? Where somebody's there for five minutes. I mean, right. it, a charging station, somebody's there for a minimum of what, 15, 20 minutes, even if it's a supercharger, right? So um, let me ask you another question. So this is my theory. My theory is the idea, so let me just walk through this. I want your complete, honest, sure. un, uh, uh, unabashed thoughts on this. Yes, absolutely. So let's say I buy a service station, uh -huh. okay? I've got flat roofs, so I can do solar. On top mm -hmm. of that, I've got um, charging stations, but then it's, it makes super sense if I got charging stations to have a restaurant of some sort or fast food, um, something where actually, or even a coffee shop. Do you think, uh, is, is that the kind of thing that you see popping up? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, we, I mean, the, the projects we've been involved with, they are being installed certainly at, at existing serving, uh, service stations that have been, you know, for gas or, um, you know, historically and still are for now. Um, but we're also seeing them pop up a lot for kind of private operators. So like maybe a, um, you know, local bus system or something like that, that yeah. is switching to um, electric, that that's, that's pretty common. Um, but overall, you know, I think the challenge and why the incentive is needed is because you know, you're trying to build out the infrastructure so that people feel comfortable owning an electric vehicle. Right. right? And, you know, you don't, want, you, you don't want a car that, like, for example, take my wife's, um, my wife's little um, BMW, which really only goes 100 miles, right? They say right. it goes 200, but the reality is we live in Arizona. It goes 100 miles once you put the air right. conditioning on. So, you know, it's challenging. I mean, literally, she cannot go across the valley. This is a big valley. She can't go across right. the valley and back on a single charge. 
That's right. So, because um, that, that's more than 100 miles. And right. so that makes it very difficult. And so, of course, you can never do a road trip in it because, you know, you can't have, I mean, even a Tesla at 300 miles, you're still going to have to sit and charge it at some point, you know, during the day on that, right. on that road trip. So um, I think the charging stations are going to be really important. Um, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, the economics are today that maybe they're not like, you know, sitting here uh, in 2020 or May of 2021, there may not be enough um, electric vehicles in that particular area to right. justify doing this. And so, you know, what we're, what you're asking people to do is invest for the future that, you know, a year or a couple of years from now, there's, there are going to be. It, it's a bit of a chicken and an egg type of it a situation, is. isn't it? It, it, it definitely is. So let me ask you the question that nobody else is going to ask. Okay. <laughs> What's going to happen with nuclear? Nuclear. Oh. Because, because if, if you actually think about it, the cleanest energy we have right now is nuclear. Um, right. It's the most efficient energy. And, but it just has this huge political yeah, that goes right. along with it. Right. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, outside of the spent rods, and I worked for a nuclear power plant. So outside, okay. of, outside of this, I know a little bit about this. Outside of spent rods, there's no pollution. Right. A, I mean, zero. In a, right. uh, you know, you, you affect the environment because you put up hot water, um, but you have cooling ponds, et cetera. Uh, you have steam going up in the air, not smoke going up in the air. So you don't have any of the emissions at all. Um, do you think that there's room for nuclear in this debate or do you think nuclear is dead? My suspicion is is politically it would be difficult at this point, and that interesting. the the focus is is on some of these other options like solar, like wind. Um, so, so, what do you think we're going to get from a, a credit on wind? Um, it, let's just take uh, the last couple of minutes, and if you would just sure. talk about what is the current wind wind credit for windmills, and uh, what what's the what do you see as the future? So, so wind, well, I think there's, a, there's an investment tax credit for, for small wind facilities, but most of the wind is these large utility scale projects. And the wind credit is actually a production-based tax credit versus an investment-based tax credit. So it's not about how much money you invest in that wind facility. It's about how much power it actually produces going forward. Um, which, so that makes it, you know, quite a bit different. Um, and, you, you know, it makes it a little bit, um, I guess, riskier almost from an investor perspective, because, you know, it's a lot, you know, it's a set amount with an investment tax credit, whereas a production tax credit is, is based upon how much energy it's going to produce. And that's, right. you can project it pretty well or very well. So but. that credit would be really more equivalent to depletion in an oil and gas well. It's, right. it's, it's based on the revenue that's produced, Correct. basically, instead of based on uh, the investment that's made. That's right. That's right. And so, um, you know, the wind credit, similar to solar and others, you know, it's been continuously renewed either, you know, annually or every couple of years. Um, it definitely, you know, enjoys some, some strong support um, in Congress as well. So I would... I would anticipate that it will will absolutely be part of the equation, um, and I think the I guess the newer um, 
opportunity and, and what we've seen some of is, is some of the offshore wind uh, right. uh, projects moving forward. Um, and, you know, obviously the challenge with those are those are they're newer, um, you know, the putting the additional wind mills in, the, in where there already are um, others, it's a lot easier to predict what's going to happen. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, any final words? Any final advice for our, uh, our our CPAs or anybody else who's listening? Uh, I think the only thing I would say is, you know, certainly, um, you know, these tax incentives obviously are, are huge helps to making these projects happen. Um, they're also, you know, is a tax investment opportunity for investors to to participate in these deals and to to kind of get that win win of of helping facilitate you know, some new renewable energy project, but also getting a return on their investment. You know, the alternative to, to doing these projects is you know, paying the, the federal government, right? You pay your tax bill. Um, well, here you, you get some return on that investment by getting these credits and, and depreciation and other things. So it, it, is a, it is kind of a win-win that um, certainly seems to make a lot of sense for, for a lot of investors if they can take advantage of it. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Eric Wishneff, where can uh, people reach you if they want to get to you? So they can uh, reach me at my email address is eric, E-R-I-K, at Wishneff, W-I-S-H-N-E-F-F.com. And Wishneff is uh, last two Fs are Frank Frank. All right. Thank <laughs> <laughs> uh, you. A lot of people say S, think I'm saying Sam, Sam. No, F, 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 F. Yep, got it, got it. Hey, thank you, Eric, very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I think, I think this is the new big incentive is going to be the uh, clean energy incentive. I mean, not just the, you know, we, we, we talk about environmental, um, like, um, conservation credits and so forth. But I think the, this is going to be an easy one. And uh, I actually think they will take some of the limits, some of the caps off. And if they do, actually what will happen is the government will actually pay you to make that investment if you're in the right situation, have the right advisor. So, you know, my argument would be become the right advisor so that you can actually make sure that your clients who get these passive credits can use these passive credits. That's, uh, to me, that's the key. And uh, what happens when we do this, when we're, we're starting to uh, bring these opportunities to our clients, then it completely changes our relationship with our client. And what we end up with is far better clients, a far better practice and a way better life. We'll see you next time. Thanks everyone. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>